Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Jason Anson, a sports technologist in Canada. Jason has a technical background in web design and web data management. He applies that knowledge now in a project that indulges his passion for sport. He tells us about his training monitoring software and the process by which it was and is being developed. For more information, check out our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Enjoy! Hello and welcome everyone to the Sports Technology Podcast. I'm Mike, and today I'm joined with Henry. Hello. And today we have all the way from Western Canada joining us today is Jason Anson. Um, do you just want to say hello and introduce yourself? Yes. Hi to everyone. This is Jason Anson. I'm a sport technologist who's passionate about training software and how it can help coaches and athletes. And I'd like to thank Mike and Henry for having me today. It's uh, an excellent podcast and idea that you guys are doing to uh, help grow the field of sport technology. There's many aspects to it and it's nice to see uh, you guys uh, doing something with it. Do you want to just talk a little bit about kind of how you got into the field of sports technology and where you are currently? And just kind of a little bit of background. Well, I think the beginning was uh, a bit naive on my part, to be honest with you. I had uh, about 10 years of internet uh, service provider experience, and at that time we were just coming out of the dot-com bubble explosion. I had managed to ride that through pretty well, but it was the uh, aftermath of 2004 of different directions. Technology was changing, and I was looking for new opportunities. I had not uh, done well with designing my own data center at that time. Uh, it was good from 99 to 2004, but uh, bigger players came in, uh, big data centers in Texas. You just couldn't compete. Everything was amalgamating to these uh, huge companies. So from there, I was looking for new opportunities, and I thought sport. Uh, happened to have a, a, an empty landscape at the time for technology. There weren't a lot of technology products. There certainly wasn't any school for sport technology at the time. There might have been one or two universities offering the courses worldwide. And I was lucky enough to be in Victoria, British Columbia at the time, which is one of the um, sport meccas of North America, including Aspen. So a lot of the Canadian resources and Olympic athletes will be in Victoria training all year round because of the climate. So with my background in technology, I thought I could just go into the sports field and be welcomed to open arms, let's say, and they would uh, want to develop technology. That was a little bit further from the truth. They weren't really ready to adapt technology at that time. And over the last seven years, I've developed a training software with uh, elite and Olympic athletes that was more on the evidence-based coaching versus the armchair coaching, let's say. So I think in the last seven years, we've, we're starting to go more evidence-based, but there certainly is a lot of armchair uh, coaching styles in uh, the different Olympic sports right now. So when you started, you say, you say people weren't uh, quite interested in adapting the technology. Is that just because they weren't, because they weren't prepared to, to pay for it or didn't quite see the benefits of, uh, of more of the more evidence-based coaching that you speak of? Uh, no, I think they were, I think they were uh, ready to purchase it. I, in the early days in 2005, in May of 2005, I released first desktop training log software for cycling that was sold in over 100 bicycle stores, and we probably sold about 4,000 copies that year. So they, they certainly were purchasing it, and they were purchasing items like heart rate monitors, and things like that. But I, to, to get more specific on what, what I mean by that is, in general, the athletes weren't adopting technology. They weren't very interested in the 
sport technologist to say uh, more of a, you were kind of a geek on the sidelines. You were very analytical. You were trying to analyze data that was coming from these devices that they didn't necessarily understand when they were using it at the time. Still a lot of evidence like that in multiple, multiple sports. The endurance sports have it uh, together, I think, now. They, they certainly are the more advanced ones. But when we get into, like, team sports, for example, they will often have no idea how to use a heart rate monitor, for example, or what, what purpose it has in their training. Okay, can you just walk us through what your software does and how a team or individual would work with it? Sure. I think uh, the, there's three components to the software. The first one is an athlete's training log, and I use the term athlete to, to just be broad with all sports. So I make the claim that all sports should be using a training log. There's certainly lots of evidence out there where people suggest to use one, but there's not a lot of data out there of people using them in all sports is what I'm suggesting. So a lot of the research I did was on how does an athlete's training log apply to all sports? How can it apply to someone who's a bowler, to someone who is an F1 formula race driver, all the way through to, you know, uh, finger skating? Is it the same as they're doing in cycling? So a lot of research was done on that. And then from there, there's a coaching training planner. So once an athlete is logging their data, how can a coach prescribe a workout and then monitor that workout plan versus actual? And then the third component to it is the sports scientist component, which brings in all the physiological and psychological components and allows a sporting organization who is the target market to configure this and collect that data over a global network because of the vast amounts of geographical landscapes such as um, Canada has or the U.S. has. Uh, often these professionals aren't in your backyard. They're throughout the world, but they're not getting that data from the athletes. That still exists today predominantly. Do you have a general name for the software? Yeah, no, I, I, I run it under Optimo Sport, O-P-T-I-M-O Sport, and I've done that for, for several years. What I haven't done is released major components to the general public. So I've released the athlete's training log. Anyone can sign up for it for free, but the coaching training planner and the sports science aspect has always been kept back in development and, and still to this much to this day is, and the main reason for it is for the last seven years, I've been going back and forth with different professionals in different sports, ranging from cycling to table tennis to curling to rugby, uh, very vastly different sports in terms of skill sets and, and applications and trying to find the commonalities between them so that a programmer could program a software that could benefit them all. Because the reality at the end of the day is you will have an athlete, let's say you took a snowboarder who might be playing tennis on the on the side. No athlete's the same, I find. They're not all training the same way with the same sports. They'll have different multiple sports. And often right now in sport, they only measure or monitor one aspect of that athlete's life in their sport. So they might track all the snowboarding events, let's say, or all the workouts, but they might not be tracking that athlete's tennis. And So they're not getting a complete picture of what the athlete's training is, is what I found. And then that breaks down even further into the different um, sports science backgrounds. So there might be an overemphasis on physiological measurements and an underemphasis on psychological measurements or, or neither in some sports. So there seem to be some um, vagueness of how to actually measure a training workout. So a lot of my research goes to that core question. So I, I actually signed up for the, um, the, the log on the Optimal Sport website and um, 
I was kind of looking at the op, uh, the training optimization cycle that you have listed, and I think that that was, if I'm understanding it correctly, that's intended to, to look at the athlete as a whole rather than the athlete as a as a two hours a day trainer, um, including some things. And one one question I have is about the um, I think it was the Dalda stress scores, or if that's the right is that can you can you I guess talk a bit about that and what what you're trying to get from that because it's not really a, a measurement of of sports, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, well, the Dalda is a measurement for stress responses psychologically to an athlete's performance. So that was a peer-reviewed test since 1978, and it's being used at all of the top high-level Olympic and professional teams that I've come across, and that's how I came across it, I should say. So what what happens in all sport is, well, a better way, I guess, to say it is, I would be confident in saying that 99% of the athletes' training logs that exist in the marketplace today measure the volume and either one intensity being physiological or one being psychological. So they're not, not very many are doing both, and they're, a lot of them are doing just the volume and intensity. And the truth is, in an exercise workout, you're, doing, you're prescribing volume and intensity so that you can trigger a stress response the next day to see how your body recovers from that exercise. And those stress responses, often uh, the psychological factor is missing from it. And I know you've had some past guests that have spoken about uh, burnout and overtraining. In fact, in sports sciences, the first aspect to, uh, to create overtraining is the psychological aspect. So if you're not recording the psychological aspect, you're not getting an accurate picture of that stress response of that athlete again. So you'll have physiological devices out there. Uh, it could be a waking heart rate, could be, you know, all the way through to, I've seen some where they measure in between the hearts a beat. Uh, you can get pretty analytical there, but in terms of the psychological stress response, there's only two ways to do it. One is called the POMS test, and the other one is called the DALBA. And the difference between the two is the DALBA uh, measure, allows a, a coach to get the stress and stress symptoms and sources of the actual athlete. So it takes into account other aspects of the athlete's life outside of training, which can affect uh, an athlete's performance. Yeah, um, the software and, and the log helps you kind of keep track of a bunch of things that may not have been sort of present at the forefront of the athlete's thoughts. For example, the, the stress responses and things. Um, mm -hmm. So is the, is the simple act of, of perhaps paying attention to these things for, for quite some time, for maybe a couple months of training or a year of training, do you think that that can improve the athlete's in, in a more kind of maybe permanent or long-term sense? Like, is, is this something that, that will develop, that will help an athlete to listen to, their, listen to their bodies and develop good habits? Or do you think this is a system that needs to be kind of employed throughout training beyond kind of an initial period? Well, I think it's, a, it's an everyday response tool to your training, right? When you go out and, and you run as fast as you can or as hard as you can, as long as you can, how do you honestly know the next day that uh, it was an effective workout. Right. And I think that's where the line uh, goes between armchair coaching and evidence-based coaching. So if you were to take an evidence-based approach to that, I'm suggesting with the training optimization cycle that you would want to measure all your exercise workouts within a day. You would want to measure the volume of time from all those exercise workouts. You'd also want to get the RPE for a psychological intensity, how you felt from that workout, You'd want to, if you had a heart rate monitor, get the physiological intensity responses from that workout. And then the following day, you would want to record 
your waking heart rate for a physiological stress response as well as a psychological stress response. What they're finding in sports science is, you know, in the 50s there was an overemphasis on physiological measurements. And then in the early or late 1890s, early 1900s, it was sports psychology. And in the last 10 years, they've really put an emphasis on the measurement of both. So those who aren't measuring both are not getting an accurate picture. So that's just on a microcycle of one day. So to answer your question, it allows you to measure whether it's effective or not. If you go out onto a field, play soccer, for example, and the athlete, the coach works you out, works you out, works you out, and then he doesn't see you for two days or three days and you happen to go, you know, uh, for a run or ride a bike, that coach has no idea what stress responses you're having from any of these workouts you're doing. So it really turns into an arm, you know, like an, an armchair-based coaching. Most of the coaching that I see out there is is what it is. Now, just to be clear about this DALDA and all the training optimization cycle, it's not my invention. That is just what is happening in sport today. So I'll give you two examples of that. How I came across it was in 2004 at uh, Athens uh, Olympics for Great Britain, the sports scientists would follow the cycling team for track and make these uh, calculations by hand. So the DALDA was non-computerized before for, since 78. Nice. So what happens is the sports scientist goes, hand makes all these calculations and reports back to the coach the next day with all the responses. Now, I believe that that was their most successful gold medal win in uh, track cycling that Olympic. This was the formula they were using. Another example would be, and this is completely independent of me. This isn't me bringing my sciences on them. This is me evolving technology from what they're already doing. Another example is I'm working with a professional Australian uh, Aussie rules football team. How I came across them was a professional football team in the U.S. called me saying that they were just in Australia studying under the sports scientist and he was using Medalda. And it seemed really time-consuming how they were doing this process, and it would be great to have it computerized. Did some research, found out that I had the computerized version. What they were doing in Australia, in the, in the um, and it was in the rugby, or sorry, not rugby, but the Aussie rules football, was they, as the athletes were leaving the event, they were stopping them at the door, professional athletes, and, and getting all these responses that they needed. And again, someone would calculate that manually, and then they would go back to the coach the next day and give them the information on the athlete. So this is a, a system that the elite, the most elite in most sports that I know are, are applying it, and it's the general public that isn't applying it correctly. And I believe that's a result of marketing. So, you know, Polar and Garmin, when they put out their devices, they're really overemphasizing what their devices can do, and people aren't getting a complete picture of what they should be doing in training. Okay, so with your software... Can you just run us through, like, uh, an athlete or a coach is using it, like, how, like practically, how does it work when they wake up, they take their heart rate, resting heart rate, or throughout the day? That's the, I should mention there's many aspects to the software. There's many add-ons uh, from, uh, you know, adding different devices to it, to body measurements, to I have custom widgets where you can add anything that you want to track. So all the software is really doing is saying, look, if you're going to measure an exercise workout, you've got to measure the basics first. If you're not measuring the basics, what's the point? And most people out there are using softwares that aren't getting a complete picture or just tracking the volume of intensity. And that's what I found in the past was in, in studying all the different athletes is they use it for about 90 days and then it becomes what's the point. So you, what you find in the marketplace is a bunch of analytical people recording their information 
while the socially active athlete doesn't really care and doesn't doesn't do it. And when I say what's the point, is they're adding information, they're adding information, they're adding information. It might benefit the coach if they have a coach to start with, but generally speaking, the person doesn't understand why they're recording the information. I'm suggesting that the reason why you're recording the information is to see if your stress responses from the previous day's workout were effective or not. And if you're not taking both measurements being psychological and physiological, it becomes inaccurate. It's not an, and in science, it's about it being as accurate as you can be. So the process is very simple. Go out, do any exercise you want, and just measure the time, and on a scale, an RPE scale, whether it's 0 to 10 or 0 to 20, tell us how you felt. From that point, the next day, we're asking you to take your waking heart rate in the morning, and it can, the software compares it against your last 14-day waking heart rate and tells you how many beats per minute you're above or below. This is just a basic calculation to give a person an idea how they are physiologically. And by taking the Dalda uh, stress test, it's simply asking uh, a bunch of questions in your life that are uh, normal, better than normal, or worse than normal. And again, it's measuring it against your past 14-day baseline, and it's seeing if you're stable or not. And it triggers these different icons and the scores so that you can uh, visually represent that data. So, so in the big picture, what I'm thinking is the athletes are going to want to log their data because they know they're going to get their stress response, and that's what they want to know at the end of the day is, was yesterday's workout effective or not? What have you seen are the biggest challenges in implementing a, a software system like this? Is it working with the coaches or the athletes or getting them to kind of understand how they can use this tool? I think the biggest challenges have been uh, outside of training. I think the sport itself has challenges. Uh, you know, if you were to go at the amateur level, uh, you know, they're they're just trying to put together a sporting organization. If you go to the elite level, uh, often the players don't work with each other, so uh, budgets come into play. So if you took the, the top team who can afford all the uh, resources, they might not have, you know, a, a psychologist on board. They might just have a physiology. So then the, the whole training regimen starts to emphasize on the physiological aspect. One of the things I did with my software is I went and interviewed uh, literally hundreds of different types of coaches whether it be a performance coach, a dietitian, a physiologist, psychologist, and I've showed them what all their data on a daily basis being recorded could look like aggregated over weeks, months, annual and multi-year uh, data on graphs and calendars that, that the world has not seen in terms of a computerized way of doing it, right? If you're doing these, measuring these microcycles every day, they eventually add up and then that data becomes Useful. So at the very top, the sports scientists are very excited about it. And when you go down, uh, stream being the coaches, it all becomes a matter of education. How knowledgeable are they and where are they at in their implementation of a training plan in their organization? So it can be difficult that, uh, at the bottom. Do you find that the coaches, like different types of coaches, are more receptive? Like, I guess, are, once coaches see kind of what you have, to offer with the software, are they more willing to adopt it, or are some coaches just always set in their ways, like they've done this old school, they're going to keep doing it their way? I, cer I certainly know what you're, you're saying. Uh, I have experienced that a lot, uh, the, the coaches that are set in their ways. I think in the last seven years, eight years, there certainly has been a shift and change in some of the coaching mentalities. They're, they're, uh, the iPhone implosion and the, and the Google Android, that didn't exist in the early 2000s when I started. So 
the access, the, the flexibility of just being able to, people are used to these devices now is what I'm trying to say. So at the end of the day, I think that makes it easier to integrate such a, a software such as I have amongst sporting organizations. You had, you had mentioned long-term tracking of, of, of trends and things. What, I guess before when, they, when you mentioned they were doing hand calculations on, on the data and other, other sorts of metrics, I, I imagine that sort of information just wasn't kept or cataloged. But now, that, now that you have the ability to, to create extensive databases, are there, are there trends that can be seen and, and like kind of across the board, or is that, is that something you're looking at? Or is... uh, certainly there would be trends. I don't know what those trends are. Hmm. I'm not uh, studying so much the, the application of the sports science. I think that was one of the um, reasons why I think I have a, a good collective knowledge on this project is I didn't come in with one theory of how, an, how a, a, a workout should be prescribed or how a training plan should be prescribed. I was simply a programmer for 10 years before, and I was trying to get a product that eventually I could go to every coach, and no coach would say, yeah, I'm missing something. Everything is there. The flexibility is there for them to do it the way they want. So they can take this tool and get all kinds of, mass data over their network if they implement it and see different trends that are happening, but I, I don't know how they're using that uh, particularly. What have you found to be the most interesting part of kind of this project and, and the work you've been doing over the last seven years, obviously coming from a kind of a completely diff, like a, a different angle than... The biggest challenge for me was uh, with the armchair coaching, you know, it, it I, I really didn't, it didn't sit well with me when the coach would say, I can just tell when an athlete's about to burn out. I can just see it in his eyes. Wasn't the, the ramifications after to that team if the coach was wrong. I, I guess what, an, an example would be, I've known many national team coaches at the cycling level who have burnt out athletes and those athletes feel like their career was wasted. They're bitter over it because the coach didn't prescribe the training effectively. And when they're using this armchair coaching style, it uh, really intrigued me to pursue the question of what, well, how would you record that? How would you do that? And then not only how would you do it, what are the, the scientific measurements? I wasn't interested in a psychological stress test that wasn't peer-reviewed. I wasn't interested in the gimmicks that exist out there, uh, you know, heart rate monitors that measure the predicted uh, calorie uh, expense from your from your uh, workout. I wanted to know what the core measurements were. So that took a, a huge amount of time to figure out what that training optimization cycle was. And, and the truth behind that is, is because at the Olympic elite level, no one really wants to work with you. No one wants to share that proprietary information. One, because it employs them. And if they lose, if everyone had that common knowledge, then it makes them not as employable. Let's say, and and two, they were scared of their competition, knowing exactly what they were working on or where they were at in their training plan. So that was a pretty hard thing, and that was what I found the most challenging, and what pretty much drove me to this point. Now I have all the confidence that the calculation is right because it makes sense in a computer, and also all my peers in every aspect, whether it's dietitians or physiologists or psychologists, all agree. Generally speaking, I haven't come across any really that have, have um, said that it's off. Where the information gets off is the subjective information in the recording. So if you do record your volume and intensity and you do record the stress responses, it's the, I'll use snowboarding as an example because I know Mike, you have a background in it, is it's the subjective information. Well, how did the weather affect it? And how did the, the snowboard itself affect it? And what waxes did you use? And what bindings were you using? 
and where what area were you in and, and people want to record that information but it it doesn't affect the actual scientific measurements of the actual workout is what I'm getting at so in the software I created a nice tool that creates widgets that allow anyone to very much like Google Docs allows you to create a form you can create a form within the software to record whatever it is you want how do you see kind of the software expanding or do you see it kind of having different ways to implement it with coaches or athletes like what's kind of what's on the next what's on the horizon what's next well at this point um, I think it's still a, uh, the challenges still lie in proving that all sports are using a training log or should be using a training log that would be a good example so while I, I can speak here with confidence and say this is how a training log should be this is how a coaching training planner should be this is how the sports scientists use it this is how all the information aggregates and and looks visually in a scientific objective way over time the truth is a lot of sporting organizations are not implementing these best practices some are but the majority of them are not so a good example would be recently I went to every Olympic committee in Canada and asked them for a training log template simply for the fact to answer a question that all sports are using a training log so what ended up happening from that so 58 sports I emailed the high performance director saying do you have this training log and I think out of the 58 sports maybe eight of them provided me with a training log a good majority of them didn't even understand why an athlete in their sport would use a training log so I think the horizon is implementing this sort of technology and, and trying to educate the sporting organizations and coaches on how uh, performance data and analysis um, is viewed. Would this also include kind of going to your your weekend warrior who does running or cycling that they want they have a lot of data that they're collecting with their heart rate monitor GPS and all that stuff. yeah and, and, it, and it does it does uh, what I found again is that the, I started at the top I went yeah. to the top because all that information trickles down anyways right so right. what ends up happening if you took a weekend warrior in like triathlons for example he's simply going to go to the source of who the best triathletes are um, and how they're training right so if they if if they're at the Olympic level and they're using a particular format or doing it a certain way. I found the weekend warrior just wants to do what the pros are doing. Very much just like a 13-year-old kid who has a um, carbon fiber hockey stick has no benefit using that stick but wants to use it because that's what they use in the NHL. No um, different than a weekend warrior. So most of my focus has been put at the elite level of, um, of sport. Now I should mention to you there are other applications that the software I have come in my research to find it has other benefits too that fall outside of elite sports. So sometimes, you know, it's not, I guess my project isn't really about amassing all the weekend warriors and trying to sell all the weekend warriors to profit from it. Uh, my software first off is free. People can just go and use it. Where I, where I intend to sell my software is to the actual sporting organizations as a whole so that they can have their own training software system within their organization, an unbranded, unlabeled one is um, where my focus is. So to that weekend warrior, it's always going to be free, the coaching planner and the, the athlete's training log. But where if uh, one time I worked with one of the doctors from the U.S. Olympic Committee branched off into cancer treatment, and he was prescribing exercise for cancer treatment and using the tools to measure the responses from uh, their exercise while in treatment and post-treatment. Another example I was mentioning to Mike through an email is uh, on the west coast of Canada, I'm working with a First Nations community to implement an exercise program using, again, the same tools that uh, can benefit a, a, a society or a community 
outside of elite sport. Uh, it all, in my opinion, trickles down, and there's many opportunities in, in, in this field for this type of software moving forward Excellent. outside of uh, weekend warriors and Olympic sports. Yeah, it sounds all really exciting. So if people want to find out more about you and your software, where can they look? Well, first off, you can go to my personal website, which is www.sporttechnologists.com, and my product website is optimosport.com as well, okay. or just Google Jason Anson. We'll put those links on our, on our website as well. And you have a Twitter account as well, right? Yeah, you can get that through my sporttechnologist.com website, and again, it's uh, Jason Anson if you wanted to Google it or, or pull up the uh, Twitter account. So thanks again for, for being on. Yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, good luck with your venture, guys. And that concludes this episode. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find links to Jason's website on our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Bye.